Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, it's another glorious Lord's Day. And what a privilege to be here together to serve our great God. Summer is passing quickly, and I am looking forward to finishing strong with each of us this summer. And I am so glad that each of you are here today because God has a special message for you. It's no accident that you're here. This is a divine appointment. And so I know that if you'll listen, God will just bless you in an amazing way. And so this morning, we are on the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to get so hot, I better cool off here. Our theme this morning is life is a matter of choices. Life is a matter of choices. And then every choice you make makes you. Every choice you make ends up making you. The passage we're going to look at in Matthew 7 is interesting. It is so powerful. In it, he said that there are two gates in life which bring the individual to two roads, in which there are finally two destinations, which in turn are being populated by two different crowds. And that's the focus of today's edition, exciting edition of the Sermon on the Mount. The poet captured it. I met a man at the crossroads and asked him where to go, which road would lead to happiness, which road to misery, which road would lead to untold wealth. He looked sad and said to me, I sit here at the crossroads to ponder where to go. And when I arrived here, eons passed, just one thing did I know. I didn't know which road to take or where my future lay. I simply knew the road I'd walk to get me here that day. I sat and pondered full of fear which road I should take. And as I sat, the days passed by. No decision could I make. And now I sit here still confused as to where I've been or gone. All roads to me look the same. I fear them every one. I left him, sat there thinking still. I chose a road at random. Would it bring disaster or perhaps a lost king's ransom? And that's so true for many. And yet how unnecessarily sad. Life is a matter of constant decision making. Every single day we make choices what time we're going to get up in the morning, or even if we're going to get up in the morning. I'm sure you've all heard what Moses did to get up in the morning, right? He brewed some coffee. He brewed. Well, anyway, uh, choices. Choices. What we eat and what we wear and what we're going to do today or tomorrow, what we're going to do. We are all constantly 
at the crossroads. Cumulatively, small decisions, small choices, small actions actually culminate into a big difference. Ultimately and inevitably, it is the final choice that makes decision about eternity itself. Joshua was a powerful leader of Israel. He followed mighty Moses. And in the last chapter of the book of Joshua, in chapter 24, he challenged the people with the well-known statement, choose, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose. You've got to choose. Either you choose or it'll be chosen for you. And that, quite frankly, is the most difficult thing for many people to do. Sadly, many people suffer from a self-inflicted decision anxiety when it comes to the things about spiritual. The Old Testament prophet Elijah on Mount Carmel also called for a decision. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, he said, How long will you halt between two choices, two opinions? I mean, come on. If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. I mean, he just threw down the gauntlet. He put a line in the sand. He said, make a choice. Essentially, he was saying, you better make a choice because if you don't, it will make itself. And so here we are in the single greatest sermon ever preached at one setting. Jesus now is bringing this to a culmination. He's bringing it to a, a summary point. He's saying, you're going to have to make a choice. You're either going to have to accept what I'm saying or reject it. You can't be middle of the road. Choices. An angel appeared at the faculty meeting of a school and told the dean, in return for your unselfish service, you'll be rewarded with a choice of wealth, wisdom, or beauty. Which will you choose? Without hesitating, the dean selects wisdom. It's done, the angel said, then disappeared into a cloud of smoke. All the other members of the faculty stared at the dean with amazement. Finally, one of them whispered, now that you have infinite wisdom, dean, say something. He looked at them and said, I should have taken the money. <laughs> well, this morning, I hope that the decisions you made to be here will not be one that you regret. In fact, it'll be one that you'll say, I made the right choice. And let's pray this morning that God would give us his special wisdom as we look into this crucial, absolutely important passage for this day and age. Lord, I thank you this morning for the great opportunity to look into this tremendous truth. Lord, be with us today. I pray that you would just strengthen our minds and our hearts and be with those who couldn't be here today. I know some are not feeling well. Lord, would you just heal them and give them strength? And Lord, be with us today in this service, we pray, in a special way. Help every one of us, Lord, to make a choice that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. The great apostle Paul encouraged young Timothy. He said, if you want to keep your congregation engaged, he says, give attendance to reading. Another translation puts it this way, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture. And so that's what we're going to do. So open your Bible, if you would, or you can look on the screens here. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read out loud public reading of Scripture, as Paul told Timothy, verses 13 and 14. 
There's a great reward in reading it and more so in keeping it. All right, let's read it together. Ready, begin. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Jesus Christ came into this world to build a kingdom. Of course he did. He is the king, as we sang a few moments ago. No, he's not just the king. He is the king of kings. God's kingdom demands a certain lifestyle. It demands laws that are different from the laws of this world. Jesus pointed out that his kingdom is really not external, but internal and eternal. And in this great message that he gave, this Sermon on the Mount are basically kingdom principles. That is, when you're part of a different kingdom, you live different. Our king is different, our plans are different, our laws are different. And so the Sermon on the Mount really are just kingdom principles, eternal kingdom principles, which our king desires and really deserves from us. In keeping of them, we're told there is great reward. And so Jesus looks at the group today and just imagine that we're sitting there in beautiful blue skies of Israel. They're on the little mountainside, not high up, but just a little elevated, rocky area, sand and some scrubby looking uh, bushes here and there, and little grass coming up, the soft wind, Sea of Galilee's out there. And so here we are, we're sitting here. You've been listening to this brilliant, amazing message, and the, the, the principles are just like blowing your mind away. He's gone all over the map. He's talked about attitudes. He's talked about our relationship to people in the community, to the government, our money. He's talked about divorce and marriage. He's just, he's covered a gamut of things. But you sense now there kind of begins a turn in the message. Sometimes you may be listening to a message and you get a sense the pastor is coming to a close. Sometimes you wish he was coming to a close. But uh, you're hoping and you're believing. And so I get a sense that Jesus now is bringing this to the top of the matter. What is your response? What is your reaction to what I've been saying? What is your reply? And that really is the issue, the issue facing. Jesus is calling for an action. He's calling for a verdict. In our wording, we would say he's asking for an altar call. Altar calls are actually quite scriptural. Not done much anymore, but that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He is saying, look, we need to bring this to a decision time. This is not something you just go home and contemplate. No, today, right now, right here, beginning now, you need to make a choice. And so in verses 13 and 14, he said, we're at a crossroads right now. We're at a fork in the road. You're going to choose this way or that way. But be careful because the choice that you make is going to determine your eternity. Now, a little clarification as we begin this message. Jesus is talking about right and wrong. He is talking about good versus evil. 
and certainly truth versus error. But that is not how the roads are marked. And I believe that's what Jesus is telling them. He's saying, now, what I've told you is different than what these people have told you. Now, what they have told you, they don't call it error. They don't call it wrong. They don't call it evil. I mean, it's not very deceptive if we come to a crossroads and one sign says, this is good, it leads to life. This is bad, it's evil, don't go this way. That would be an easy choice. That's not deceptive. But this is very deceptive because Jesus said, you're going to have to make a choice between that which is truly right or that might that seems right. And that's what Satan has done. This is not a choice between religion and paganism, but rather between divine righteousness and human righteousness. The best that human has to offer or what God offers. It's like what the Pharisee said in Luke chapter 18. You remember Luke chapter 18, the Pharisee, he said that they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Exactly. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And as well-meaning as that might sound, that's absolutely, 100%, totally inadequate. Maybe in all of us, ultimately, we make that choice. It's either we accept the righteousness of Jesus, or we say, like sometimes we say at a restaurant when they want to fill up our water glass again, no thanks, I'm good. Have you ever thought about that statement? It's kind of a way we talk. I say it often. And yet, truth of the matter is, I think a lot of people say that about God. Uh, no thanks, I'm good. Uh, no thanks, I don't really want to go. I'm good. No thanks, I'm good. And that's exactly the kind of attitude Jesus was attacking. He was saying, the choice we have today is not a choice between good and evil, really. It's not marked that way. It's between God's righteousness and human righteousness. You either throw yourself on the mercy of God and come to the foot of the cross. It's either grace or disgrace, faith or works. And that's why this part of the Sermon on the Mount is surprisingly difficult. It's so hard on our pride. Mercy and grace are things that other people need. Beggars need that. It's kind of a welfare system for God in our mind. For many I have talked to over the years, they say, ah, I don't really want that. I, I pay my own way. I'll do what I need to do. If I did something wrong, I'll pay for it. But friend, we might like to think that's the thing that we want to do. We might imagine that that would be a good plan and the way we should do it. But I will tell us, folks, nobody deserves to go to heaven. The only way we get to heaven is because of the mercy of God. And so Jesus is going to show us in this message now. He said, if you're going to take the right road, it's going to be because of the mercy of God. And he's going to lead you to that path that is eternal life. Now, there are four contrasts this morning that I would like you to look at. Four different contrasts. Four contrasts in the highway of life. First of all, there are two doors. The wide and the straight. Look at verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Gate. A gate is essentially a door. It's an entryway. It's a portal. Straight. The word means narrow. It's only used three times in the New Testament, 
by itself, but several times it is used in conjunction with a participle, as they say. The Greek scholars tell us that. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, where it's, you've read it, we are troubled on every side. That actually is a derivative of the same word. So actually then the straight gate, the narrow gate, is a troubling gate. It's a narrow gate. It's a hard gate really to enter into. And that's why Jesus said, first of all, you must, there's an action required. There is an action required. Enter ye. Enter ye. A demand for action. Not only a demand for action, but a demand for immediate action. You need to do it, and you need to do it now. Now, friend, you always have the freedom to decide whether you're going to go to heaven or to hell. But don't ever let anybody tell you you are predestined to go to hell. And I will say, folks, don't dare put that on God. Our God is a loving God. And if you wake up in hell, that is 100% on you. It's on me. It's not on God. But also, you must realize we are neither predestined for heaven. No. Jesus clearly, in this passage, did not believe in that deadly and heretical doctrine known as universalism. The idea that everybody goes to heaven. In the end, I go, you go, my dog goes, we all go to heaven. No, that's not what Jesus was saying either. He said, going to heaven, going, you have to choose this path. You have to enter it. Enter it. You must choose. Humans are not machines. And this morning, we are all 100% free to make whatever choice we want to. We are free to choose. And you need to know today that he actually has chosen you. In fact, he has personally invited you. Look what it says in Revelation 22 and verse 17. Whosoever will may come. Now, isn't it nice to know that your name is in the Bible? He'd say, wait, my name is Fernando. It's not in the Bible. Yes, it is right there. Look at that word, whosoever. That's your name. For if Fernando will, he can come. I've given you the invitation. Not only do you have an invitation from Jesus himself, you have the authorization. God says, I will even give you the power to go to heaven. And I'll have to be the one that does that, but I'll be happy to do it for you. Friends, there are not enough demons in hell or out of hell to keep you from going to heaven. But if you choose not to come, there are not enough angels in heaven to drag you down an aisle and make you accept Christ. No way. You are free to choose. You are not free to not choose. No choice is a choice. What he's saying here is, if you don't choose, life will choose for you. And trust me, that's not going to be a choice you'd like. And so Jesus said, enter. Enter. An action must be taken. Not only an action required, but number two, an exclusion realized. Enter you in at the straight gate. The narrow gate, the troubling gate, the hard gate, the narrow gate. Some people say, Christianity 
It just doesn't give room for other religions or anybody else. It's too narrow-minded. It's too, it's not inclusive enough. Well, there's actually some truth to that statement. These that say that might have the matter right, but they don't have the motive that we have in our hearts. We are not intolerant because we're proud or uneducated. It's simply that it's because Jesus himself said there is only one gate. <laughs> There's not five gates or ten gates. In fact, if God had said there are ten ways to salvation, then brother I, and sister, I would preach all ten ways to get to God. But God says there's only one way. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, there is one God. There's not thousands of God or many gods. There is one God and there is one mediator of God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, one. There's only one person that stands between God and mankind, and that is Jesus. When Jesus was on that cross, with one hand he reached to God the Father, and the other hand he reached out to mankind. Jesus is that bridge. He is, in fact, that mediator. He is the only one. He is Christ the anointed. Christ alone. In fact, Jesus referred to himself as a gate. You may recall he called it a door, but it's still entryway. He said, I am the door. Really, in this verse, when it says straight is that gate, that's actually referring to Jesus. He is a very narrow way. He is exclusive. People today complain about how hard, even bad, that we live in such a binary world. For example, with the idea of gender. But everything is too binary, they say. There's not enough dialogue out in the world. We need full spectrum thinking. They, they, they say there's too much yes or no, or right or wrong, or good or bad. They say we need directional thinking. That is, we're moving a step closer to the truth. They have a term called right-ish or wrongish, but not good or evil. No, that would not how we like it. That's too binary. Even in churches today, there are a theology called emerging theology. That is that truth is emerging. Friend, I will tell you something this morning. Truth never emerges or changes. It is absolutely settled. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven David said in Psalm 119, the left loves to quote poems like this one by Edwin Markham. He drew a circle that shut me out, heretic, rebel, a thing to flout, but love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in. Oh, it gives me goosebumps to hear that poem. And that's what you call a dead bird on the road. But that poem, I will say, you know, while it sounds wonderful, the fact of the matter is, it is totally not what God says. It is a very narrow way to get to heaven. It's a funny thing about these who proclaim that. They want their airplane pilots to be very narrow-minded. When they land, they demand that that pilot land on a very narrow landing strip with lines at an airport. Very narrow-minded. 
They want their pharmacist to be very narrow-minded. Tylenol and hydrocodone pills look almost exactly alike. But take three of them and you'll know that they're quite different. In fact, you can ask Pauline because somebody accidentally gave her those three pills instead of Tylenol. Poor thing. That was the happiest I've ever seen my wife, I will tell you for sure. But, uh, bless her heart. <laughs> she didn't wake up for a whole day. Narrow-minded. You want Tylenol pill? Well, they look the same to me. These want their bankers to be very, very narrow-minded, very binary when they're looking at their money, down to the penny they want it. But somehow, in the things that really matter, is eternal life, heaven or hell, they say, oh, no, we can't be that binary, heaven or hell. No, but that's the thing that really makes a difference. Many people say, all roads lead to God. Now, I must admit that's actually true. All roads do lead to God. Everybody stands before God someday. But what is not true is that all roads lead to heaven. And that is absolutely the fact. And that's what Jesus is saying. We're going to stand before God someday, and the choices we made in life are going to be the ones that determine our future. There are only actually two categories of people in this world, not the left and the right or whatever color or gender, though, there are only two, the saints and the ain'ts. That's it. In fact, it's so exclusive that it's either God says you go one at a time. Perhaps from a contemporary viewpoint, the word straight might be the idea of a turnstile. You go through one at a time. Nobody gets to go to heaven in groups. In fact, that's actually the problem with the Jews. The Judaism of the day, back then, even much so today, the same thing. They have a concept that because they're simply related to Abraham, that somehow they deserve as a group to go to heaven. God says that's not the way you get to heaven. It is a straight path. It is a narrow path. It's one through the turnstile at a time. It is an individual act of faith. That's why when we talk to people, we ask them this question. Have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? Not as your family Savior, not as your group Savior, but as your, or as your church Savior, but as your personal Savior. Do you have a personal relationship? That's what Jesus is saying here. It's a binary choice. It's either do you have one or do you not? Are you on the way to heaven or hell? Really, it's your choice. It's an exclusion realized, an action required. And number three, a tribulation recognized. Look at verse 14. Few there be that find it. What? Few actually find the path to eternal life? Well, many people don't realize that that's exactly what Jesus was saying. Especially in light of the fact of how simple, really, the plan of salvation is. The plan of salvation is absolutely straightforward, easy, and uncomplicated. At least for us. (laughs) It's quite... It wasn't so simple for Jesus. It was very hard and uh, strenuous for him. But in fact, anybody who wants to become a heaven-bound believer 
Anybody who wants to be saved, as the Bible word is, can be so. The worst drunkard? Easy. Druggy? No problem. Hateful of God? No issue at all. People who hate the Bible, people who are immoral, no problem. God saves anybody. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 37. By the way, these are his own words. In John chapter 6, he said, the Father gave me really everybody. And he said, if you come, I'll never throw you out. If you come, if you make the choice, I won't throw you out. But I'm not going to go out there, grab you by the neck of the neck, and drag you to heaven. That's not what's going to happen. You must choose. But if you choose, guaranteed, I'll receive you. There is no circumstances, never, never any circumstances with what Jesus said, you, it's impossible for you to go to heaven. Never. If you'll come, I'll save you. Folks, that's a promise today. You don't have to wait. You don't have to prove yourself worthy. He will instantly make you a child of God. He didn't say, if you come with tears, I'll receive you. He didn't say, if you come shouting, I'll receive you. He didn't say, if you feel it really a lot, he just simply said, come, come, just say yes to Jesus. He said, say yes to Jesus. Then why is it that so few go to heaven with such an open invitation? Why is it that so few? And that's because of the headwinds that the human race faces. It is nonstop sick. It is non-stop sin. It is a shady world we live in. The beloved apostle summarized it in chapter 2 of 1 John. He said, all that's in the world, you just take it all, put it all together. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, not of the Father of the world. Never-ending distractions, never-ending deceptions, never-ending desires. I mean, absolutely just all that's in this world, it's just never-ending distractions. Even doctrine, actually, can also be. Many groups, sadly, put so many hoops that you have to jump through. It's like a religious circus. The good Dr. Luke recorded our Lord's word on another occasion. In Luke chapter 16, verse number 16, Dr. Luke said, the kingdom of heaven is preached, and you would think that it'd be easy, but every man presseth into it. He said, really, it's, if you're going to get to heaven, he said, you cannot continue in this laissez-faire, do as you please, everybody go your own way, you must press. It is a holy violence to get to the kingdom of God, not because it's hard in the sense that you have to do a lot of hoops. It's just hard in the sense there's so many headwinds, so much against people to accept Christ. There's, because this world is like on a one-way street to hell, and if you ever go on the wrong way, I mean, it's crazy. When I first moved to Stockton over 40 years ago, by the way, a dear couple introduced themselves back here on the back row uh, this morning. 
and I, they said they've heard me before. And I said, when did you hear me? He smiled and he said, well, I actually heard you on the radio 40 years ago. I said, what? And uh, he's probably the only person in this building, besides a couple of people, that have heard me on the radio. I used to go out to a little grape vineyard out in the middle of the north of Lodi there about seven o'clock on Sunday mornings, and uh, I'd go out there, get my little 30-minute program together. A, a local man had a radio station, and so, but 40 years ago, I came to Stockton. It was nice to hear that good word. But when I came to Stockton, I didn't realize that downtown Stockton had so many one-way streets. So I had my little nice little Volkswagen rabbit, my little blue rabbit, and I pulled on to Main Street, I think it was. Main Street. I mean, Main Street shouldn't be a one-way street, but it was. I was going the wrong way. And people were waving at me and honking at me. I just thought they were being nice here in Stockton. And so I, I, well, a few moments went by and I realized they just weren't being nice. They were trying to warn me, you're going the wrong way, you crazy person. My friend, this world is on a highway to hell. And if anybody is going to go to heaven, they're going to have to do a U-turn. And if you get on the right road, people are going to be honking at you. They're going to be yelling at you. But in this case, they're the ones that are mistaken. But I want to tell you something. You're going to have to go the wrong way to get to heaven. And that's why so few... Not because it's difficult, not because it's complicated to get to Jesus. It's just there's so much headwinds, the world. And so Jesus said, first of all, there are two doors, the wide and the narrow, the straight. There are two directions, the broad and the narrow. Verse 13, broad is the way, leads to destruction. Narrow is the way which leads to life. There is a godly way and an ungodly way. A good way and a sinful way. There's just a way of life that is basically sinful and a way of life that's basically good and right. David explained that in Psalm chapter 1 in that great, amazing psalm. By the way, there are a few passages that you ought to memorize. Psalms 1 is one of them. Romans 8 is another. Memorize those. The Beatitudes in Psalm 23... Memorize these scriptures. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way. There is a way that sinners have. It is a road. It's actually a road with ruts in it. You get stuck in those ruts and you can't get out of them. It's a broad way. It's a broad way. Interesting connection. A broad way. Pauline and I have been to several Broadway productions. A few of them are delightful. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, I mean, a great one. But for most of the part, the ones we've been to are nothing special. In fact, the dramas we have here at the church, way better than anything we've ever seen, I'll tell you that. But most of those Broadway are absolutely vulgar. We went to one one time called Rent. Don't go there. We walked out after just a few minutes, I will tell you for sure. I, I don't know why in the world people paid. Oh, it's such great. <laughs> it's not. It's, but here's what I noticed about Broadway. 
Come on in. The gates are open. The gang's all here. Everything goes. No rules. No morality. Theology out the window. The only thing we're intolerant to is Christianity. <laughs> Broadway. No limits. No boundaries. True. No character either. Like a dead fish floating down a stream. The current does all the work. All you do is just go with the flow. How are you doing today? Just going with the flow. That's not good. That's the way. The way of that river is going. Paul referred to that way in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. We're in times past. You walked according to the way, the course of the world. Obviously, it's a course. It's a road. It's wide. In my mind, I thought, I wonder what the widest street is in the world. Thank God for the information you get on the Google. The Guinness Book of World Records says that the widest road in the world is the Municipal Plaza Road in the capital of Brazil. That thing is absolutely mammoth. One road. Even Tiger Woods, I think, can keep from crashing there or Kylie Jenner. Easy peasy. Hey. It's all good, people say. It's not all good, folks. It is just the way. It's the road. It's the flow. It's the stream. It's the current. Of course, it's easy when you don't go against the current. But that's a contrast to the narrow way, the constricted way. Jesus said to Peter in Mark chapter 8, if you follow me, you'll have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. What? Mm. Did I hear that right? Deny myself? Really? That's what you're calling me to? Yep. Jesus stood before those people and said, if you're willing to deny yourself and follow me, you're going to have life like you've never known it. Joy unspeakable. Follow me. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Um... That really doesn't sound fun. In fact, it sounds weird. Why would I want to spend my whole life denying myself? Jesus said, well, I will tell you, the faith called Christianity is not for the weak need or the weak-minded. The most strong-minded, the most uh, full-of-character people, wise, loving people I've ever known are Christians. People like to paint certain religions as being so, you know, noble in certain groups, folks, I'm going to tell you, nobody has the nobility of a follower of Christ. And here's why it is. Because the moment you follow him, Jesus, you get all of Jesus's blessings true. You become in Christ. He becomes in, he gets in you, but you also get all of his enemies and they put our master to death. Are we greater than our master, Jesus said? They're going to put you to death. They may not put you to death physically, but they will put you to death. You will not get a raise like the others. They will put you to death. You will lose relationships. They will put you to death. That's what God says when you get saved. It's a hard way. It's a difficult way. It's not an easy go. And yet, hallelujah, Jesus said, I will pick up that for you. I will strengthen you. Yes, it's a hard way. But the fact is, you won't sense it. In fact, you'll sense like you've got, 
like you're walking down the airport, you know, and those other poor suckers are just walking along, and you get over there on that little rolling walkway, you know, wow, I always feel like it's such an illustration of being filled with the Spirit, you know, walking like everybody else, but you're going twice as fast. I love it. That's what Jesus said he would do. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What? I don't get at this. First of all, you say it's hard. Now you say it's restful. That's because he's carrying the load. It's easy, he said. My burdens are light. It's easy. When we built our first building 20 plus years ago, the Lord worked it out where it was obvious that I was going to be the one who was going to be the project manager and actually do a lot of the physical labor. Not that I did most of it, just I would do a lot. And so seven days a week for three and a half years, that's what I did. Um, four days uh, doing construction and three days pastoring. Not a lot of times of relaxation. So if I was ever going to have some fun, I had to do it on the job. And so uh, I would find ways to have a little bit of fun. I loved it when some greenhorn would come out and say, I'm going to help you today, Pastor. And I especially loved it when it was a younger person because I knew that I could persecute them and it'd be so much fun. And so they would, we'd get a <clears throat> big beam, and I'd say, okay, grab that beam right about there, and I'd tell them to grab it in the middle. So they'd go there, and they'd grab, I said, I said, oh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll take that beam across that building over there, and say, you grab it right, right about there, okay, and we'll, we'll take it over there. Okay, pastor. So they'd grab it in the middle, and I'd take the end. Well, when you grab a beam in the middle, you're carrying 99% of the weight, and I was on the end just going... They were going, man, this is like, this is so heavy. How do you do this? I, I don't know. It's just, I just do it. And, uh, well, folks, I'm telling you, that's what Jesus does for you and I. He asks us to carry the beam. But he said, I will carry it in the middle. And you just can hold on to the end. He requires us to carry the beam, but he takes all the load. And that's what he's saying here. He is saying, yes, it's a tough way, but... I'll carry the load. Number three, there are two destinations, life and destruction. Enter in at the straight gate. The broad is the way that leads to destruction. Keep going. Keep going. There's going to be a mighty crash. Verse 14, there is, however, a way which leads to life. All life ends up in one or two places. All religions, all concepts, all lifestyles. You name it, everything comes down to one or two things, life or destruction. Awesome, incredible, amazing life given freely by Jesus because we've put our faith and trust in him or absolute destruction. You'd say, oh, oh destruction. Well, that's probably what comes after years of making a bad choices, bad choices, bad choices, bad choices, and finally, after the end of all those years of bad choices, boom, it's the bad place. Strange things is, that's actually not how it works. It is actually an easy road that leads to destruction. 
you actually don't make a lot of choices. You just make no choice. You just get in the flow. You just get on the path. Actually, you're born on that broad way. What a shock then to come to the end of the road and say, wait, that's where everybody else was going. How could this be destruction? I never made a bad choice. You just never made the right choice. You just got on the broad path and just kept going. It's not a matter of finally being destroyed after a long period of bad choices. It's no. It's if you don't make a choice to get off of that path. Here's what that amazing prophet Isaiah said. Actually, kind of a sermon on the mount in the miniature in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah the prophet was given a double vision by God. Not only of Hezekiah's reign, but of King Hezekiah's reign, but of King Jesus' ultimate reign. But he noticed this is just like a miniature Sermon on the Mount. Look at verse 8. A highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. Becoming a follower of God is a way of following holiness. Bible commands, it's the king's highway. Walking daily, eyes on Jesus. All the signs say you're going in the right direction. Hallelujah. What a joy it is to be on the king's highway. The unclean shall not pass over. Unclean. I don't want to go on that path. It's too boring. A way of holiness? Ooh, too restrictive. I don't want that. I don't see any bars. I don't see any clubs. I don't see any marijuana dispensaries. Too narrow, too straight. Uh, They shall not pass that way. Too holy for them. But it shall be for those wayfaring men, though fools, that is, people the world calls fools. You're such a fool for following God. You're such a fool for not having any fun in life. God said, I promise you, they shall not err therein. That's not the wrong choice. They're making the right choice, and it works. Get on the right path, Jesus said. Get on the right path, the prophet said. Folks, get saved, get baptized, get into church, get into your Bible, get going for the Lord. Someone once asked the famous investor Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world, he has some simple investment rules that seem to work. And they said, why don't people follow your advice more? He said, well, because nobody wants get rich slow schemes. (laughs) Nobody wants to be told how to get rich slow. They all want to be told how to get rich the fast way. It's a narrow way that's different. How narrow? If you have a Bible with you today, I have an iPad Bible, but uh, this is how narrow it's supposed to be, just like that. (laughs) That's how narrow. Take that Bible and hold the spine and look at it. That's how narrow the way is. It leads to life. 1 Peter 1.8, whom we have not seen, ye love, and whom yet him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable. 1 Peter 1.8, joy unspeakable? Joy unspeakable? I mean, just you can't even describe the joy that comes that you have in the Christian life now, and even more so the day that you step into heaven, friend. One second in heaven you'll say, that was the right choice. That was the right choice. And my friend, one second in hell, you will say, oh, why? 
Why didn't I make that choice? Joy unspeakable or sadness unbearable? Well-known pastor Jeff Strait tells the story of how his dad became a Christian. Dad wasn't a churchgoer, and after a while, his wife, Jeff's mom, her going to church bothered him. He just kind of had come to the sense that he probably would go to hell, but it troubled him that the woman he loved would not be there with him. And so in his warped thinking, he said to his wife, I really don't want you to go to church anymore. And he did so by asking her this question. Honey, would you feel comfortable if you were in heaven someday and I was in hell? Don't go to church anymore. Don't follow that way. Come with me. He said his mom, the quiet type, thought for a few moments and then asked him, Lowell, would you really feel comfortable if I was in hell with you? The simplicity of her answer stuck in his heart, stabbed him like a dart. The concept of a moment's self in hell was one thing, but the concept of his wife being in hell the rest of her life, it was that that seemed so unbearable. And so he said, I'll join you. And he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Friend, I'm telling you, it is an unbearable thought to think that we would go all of a life and then end up in hell. Joy unspeakable or sadness unbearable. Finally, this morning there are two drifters. There are two groups, the few and the many. Two crowds, two travelers, many which go therein, and few that find. Verse 13, many, and verse 14, many. People sometimes over the years have said, Pastor, do you think there'll be more people in heaven or hell? Well, I can tell you Jesus said few. And really, when you go back in the Old Testament, you'll realize that tragically, and typically so, Believing people are usually in the minority. Consider for a moment the amazing Elijah, who was grousing in 1 Kings chapter 19. He seemed like, he said, there just seems like so few people that are the real deal. God explained to him the real facts, and he said to him, I have left me 7,000 in Israel. All the knees which have not bowed unto Baal. I've often thought that's a bittersweet response. First of all, bitter, that in the entire nation of Israel, only 7,000 people hadn't bowed their knee to Baal, Satan. Out of, out of whatever million people, only 7,000 were the real deal. Bitter thought. But sweet in that Thank God there were 7,000 people who had not bowed their knee to Baal. Many or few? In Luke chapter 12, Jesus looked at his disciples and verse 32, he said, Fear not, little flock. Not a big group. 
just a little flock. The Greek word there is micron, from which we get micro, very small. Jesus spoke masterfully in the 13th chapter of Matthew, that amazing predictive parables, just incredible. You may remember he talked about a mustard seed. He said the kingdom of God and the people that serve God are like little tiny mustard seeds, not big, not a lot of them, but it's amazing what it's going to grow into. And as I look around this room, I see this thriving, growing congregation, and yet only, frankly, a fraction of what I pray and trust will be coming someday. But really, when light of the thousands, the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands in our area, I look around the world and I see all the good things that God is doing. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, we are told that someday an innumerable number of every tribe and every people and every tongue, people are going to be in heaven, So every group that's ever been named. But though it's innumerable, comparatively so, it's really few. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 22 and verse 14, many are called, few chosen. Not that God has chosen few. God has ordained that all men be saved, Peter said. He desires that nobody go to hell. But the fact that people choose themselves to receive the grace of God, so few. Because it's so easy to go that way. In a few Sundays uh, from now, we're going we're to examine what Jesus said about the religious ground. And you will remember, however, in verse 23 of chapter 7, he said, I profess, there are going to be people who've lived very religiously, who've even done things in my name, preached sermons and so forth. But he said, they actually are going to come and I'm going to say, I never knew you. Because there's a difference between doing things for God and accepting the grace of God. I'm sure that most of the people that were listening to Jesus that day thought they were on the right road. I mean, they weren't probably bad people. They were moral people. They'd been doing everything, the religious crowd, and the, trying to be obedient and trying to keep away from the crazy Roman colonizers. I mean, they were trying to do the best they could, being busy, working hard, trying to make a living. For the most part, I'm sure every one of them felt like they were probably on the right road. But Jesus said, friend, you don't realize the road you're on is a wide road, and it's the wrong road. You're thinking everything's good, but I'm telling you, I profess to you, you're going to stand before God someday, and I'm going to say, I never knew you. Is that what you want? Please, friend, don't. Don't do that. One time we went to the Jackson, Mississippi airport where we would land before go down there to Purvis, Mississippi to preach for my friend. Coming home one time, we made our way to the airport and finally got inside, got up to the gate, and we were one minute late. It's a smaller airport. I kind of thought they'd be cool and let you get on. Oh, no. This gal was absolutely... You know, it's not, not going to happen. I'd say, look, I'm a pastor. I just came here. I just, we're going home. And she just looked at me like, okay, makes no difference. One minute late, no exceptions. I thought maybe somehow, and the plane was still there. It, I mean, the, everything was still 
But it was one minute late. I was the only one left to go on. Nope, you're late. I thought to myself, come on. <laughs> you, know, you mean you're not going to let me get on that? I mean, I'm right here. Nope. Friend, it's a tragic thing to come to the end of the line and be one minute short of getting on that plane to that destination called heaven. What will your choice be? I close with this little statistic. Maybe not the best way to close, but I, it's so powerful. A couple of years ago now, the U.S. News World Report, I read a little article that they had had. 78%, I think it's probably less than that now, but 78% of Americans believed in heaven of some sort and believed they were going there. Surprisingly, 60% believed in hell, although maybe not a literal hell. But the bonkers thing was this. And I was just like, what? Only 4% of the American survey thought they were going to hell. 4%. So most of the people out there kind of have a vague, well, there's probably a heaven, probably a hell, but I'm definitely not going to hell. I'm a pretty good person. They said the study was actually done mostly with upper-middle-class, well-educated people. Educated, but tragically, too smart for the concept of hell. Jesus said exactly the opposite. He didn't say 96% are going to heaven. He said few. Few. It doesn't have to be that way. It is so easy to simply say yes to Jesus. He'd say, but deny myself? No. It's, he'll pick up the load, and it'll be a great ride. You'd be amazed at how joyful and fun it really is. But the, the kicker is at the end. You get this amazing heaven when you accept Jesus as your personal Savior. One at a time, you go through that straight gate. It's a one at a time. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.